The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Money in Your Life, the radio program that gives you the insight and motivation to be more successful with all aspects of your personal finances. Your hosts are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Today's program will feature experts and intriguing ideas that will show you how money is actually operating in your life. Now, here are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Good morning. Welcome to Money in Your Life, a weekly show where we explore how money influences your life. I'm Brian Farr. And my co-host, Ann Hutchins, unfortunately has computer difficulties this morning. So she will be patching into the show very shortly, we hope. Um, I was intrigued. Uh, last weekend, it might have been two weekends ago, my wife and I were walking through a store and they were putting out the Christmas uh, the holiday shopping season was was underway, and it seems to me each year it gets a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And I even at that time I was thinking, how, how what is that about? What is what's going on with that much marketing around this this particular episode of happens in the year, the holiday? And uh, our guest this morning, Dr. Tim Kasser, I think is going to give me some insight and hopefully all of us uh, around how some of these dynamics of, of materialism uh, in in our culture, in the consumer culture. Dr. Kasser is a professor of psychology at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. His work is focused on materialistic values and how our values relate to well-being. We're particularly interested in this because in recent episodes, a number of our guests have spoken about the importance of values in developing a successful relationship with our personal finances. So I am happy to welcome Dr. Dr. Kasser to our show this morning. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. Okay, very good. Um, let's see. There's so many things to start in with here. Uh, I think the, the place where I'm going to start is, is on a real simple level. And how is it that you got drawn into this work? This is your professional work around materialism. And I'd be curious to know how that got started for you. Mm -hmm. Well, when I was in graduate school in psychology back in the early 1990s, what I was really interested in was how it is that people kind of construct their lives. So lots of things happen in our lives that we don't intend and we just kind of go with it. But lots of times we are intentionally trying to bring about certain things in our lives. And that's a function in part of our goals and also of, of our values, what we think is important in life. So I started studying people's values and goals. And uh, to be honest, sort of stumbled onto the finding that the more that people's values and goals were oriented around making a lot of money and having a lot of possessions and those sorts of things, the less happy they were. So as people were basically buying into the messages of consumer culture and, and taking on those values, actually reported less happiness in life uh, rather than more. And, of course, more happiness is what consumer culture promises us, right? So um, that really struck me as, as very interesting. It was something that hadn't been found before. And how, let, me, let me ask, how do you unco – how does – 
as a, as a as a man who does the work that you do, how did you uncover that? Well, what I had done was develop um, what was at the time a pretty primitive questionnaire, and it has evolved over the years. Uh, but what I did was I asked people a lot of different questions about goals they might have for the future. So there were goals like having a good relationships with the people I love, goals like um, growing, you know, becoming the person I am or following my interests and curiosity, goals like trying to help the world be a better place, and then also goals like making a lot of money or having a lot of possessions. And so with that scale, I was, and what happened was is that what, what participants in these studies do is they um, rate how important each of those goals are to them. So okay. this one might be not at all important, this one's somewhat important, this one's extremely important. And the analogy I like to use is that if you if you think of your value system as like a big pie, there are different slices to that pie. So everybody has, you know, a, a slice that has to do with relationships. Everybody has a slice that has to do with spirituality or with having pleasure and with money. And what I can do with this scale is to measure how big that slice is, essentially, on the basis of people's ratings of how important those goals are. So some people have just a little sliver of uh, importance for money. Um, other people, it's like a quarter of their pie, right? Okay. And, and so what the, what the measure, we call it the aspiration index, what the aspiration index does is to kind of uh, measure all of those different slices of your, the value pie, if you will, and for each individual say, well, how big is that slice compared to other people? And mm -hmm. then, in addition, we um, measure people's well-being through lots and lots of different um, survey instruments or by asking them in later studies, by asking them to keep diaries of their experience or by asking other people about their um, experience with this particular individual and how happy Tim, they are, et cetera. Is this, is, is this part of the whole happiness research that's come out over the last 10 years? Yeah, you bet. Well, this was before that. I mean, we, I, I was um, um, one of the initial researchers to start to um, really begin to try to understand what it was that was making people feel happy. But I was also studying what made them feel unhappy. So we were also measuring how okay. depressed and anxious they were and did they have personality disorders like narcissism, et cetera. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the variables I'm interested in as a psychologist is people's well-being. And that includes happiness, but that also includes, you know, how much are people going home and getting drunk at night or are right. they smoking cigarettes? And, and since then, I hope we'll talk later on, I've, I've expanded from not just studying personal well-being, but other kinds of well-being, too. Um, okay. But in, in any case, across these initial studies and in the 20 years since, um, that's essentially the, the process that, that researchers uh, take. They study people's values they, uh, or uh, materialistic desires, and then they um, see how important that is to a person And then compared to other kinds of values and goals the person might pursue. And then they associate that statistically with some outcome like happiness or life satisfaction or depression or whatever it is. And what... Okay. What we keep finding in study after study in group of, you know, with lots of different groups of people, with lots of ways of measuring um, the, the things we're interested in, is that the more that people focus their lives around making a lot of money and caring about their image and caring about possessions, actually the less happy they are, um, the more depressed and anxious they are, et cetera, et cetera. 
Wow. So, it, and, th- and what you're saying is that you've, you now have the tools to look at this from all different angles, from various levels of the socioeconomic scale, and the conclusions are coming back resoundingly saying, focusing on money and self-esteem, self, uh, what, what was it you called self-interest it? Self-interest or self-enhancement and also things like okay. image and popularity. Okay. That, that, that across the spectrum, that does not bring happiness. Well, that's, and in fact, it undermines happiness. And I think one of the really important things to note here is that I'm not asking the question, are rich people happier than poor people? I, I'm asking the question, do people who care a lot about trying to make a lot of money and have a lot of possessions, are they happier or less happier than people for whom that's not a very important goal? And what we find, again, is that the more that people focus on those materialistic goals, goals which are really encouraged by our consumer capitalist society, the more that people take on those messages and believe them themselves, actually the less happy they are. And we found that in multiple nations around the world. We found that in kids as young as 10 and adults as old as 80. We found it actually in business students and business people Mm -hmm. too. So even business people who are more materialistic are less happy than business people who are less materialistic. Um, So so it it does seem to be what uh, scientists call a robust finding um, in the (laughs) sense that it keeps showing up over and over again in lots of different groups of people. Okay. And with so, lots of different ways of measuring the variables. Mm-hmm. So on a if if to bring this down to a real practical level, in the course of your work, can you think of a, a specific situation involving people or an, involving two different groups that you studied where you can give us some some real tangible examples of how that how that plays out, what that looks like? Well, you know, I mean, I guess the way that I would say it is that, um, you know, you have some people who, going back to my value pie analogy, if you will, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Let's say you've got kind of three kinds of people. You've got the person for whom – we've never – found anybody who says money is completely and utterly important, okay? So most people say that, yeah, it's at least a little important or somewhat important, right? Um, Then you have somebody who says, yeah, this is pretty important. And then you have some people who say this is extremely important, right? Now, what what we find is that it's actually both the moderate and the extremely important um, folks, who, who the people who view money as either moderately or extremely important, those individuals are the ones who do seem to suffer some well-being um, benefits. So their well-being does go down. So it's not just kind of the Bernie Madoffs of the world or the people we point to as the extremely greedy folks, okay? Okay. Because here's the problem, is that remember the analogy of the value pie. Well, as one slice of pie gets bigger, what that means is that other slices get smaller. And what we find is that as materialistic values become more important to people, what happens is that other values and goals get what's called crowded out, okay? As one piece of pie gets bigger, the other ones have to get smaller, you know? So so let's or, let's so, talk some about those other pieces of pie. What is it that's getting squeezed out? Well, the main thing that we find that's getting squeezed out is what we call intrinsic values. So the intrinsic values are values for growing as a person and following your own interests, what we call personal growth. 
A second intrinsic value is for affiliation, which is having close relationships with other people, with your family and your friends. And then the third intrinsic value is for what's called community feeling. And that's trying to help the broader world be a better place. So not just help your buddy, but, uh, you know, helping people in other countries or the broader community, etc. And what we find over and over is that um, materialistic values for money, image, and status stand in opposition to these intrinsic values. And the analogy I use here is as a seesaw, and this has been shown in lots of different studies now. As one set of values goes up, the other ones go down. And so it's those intrinsic values that tend to get crowded out the more that people focus on materialistic values. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? If what you're really focusing in is uh, money and image, you've got less time to kind of pursue your own interests that are just for fun. Um, you're not always going to uh, be focused on your relationships quite so much. And um, you've got less time and inclination. I mean, if you're focused on getting as much as you can for yourself, you're probably not so inclined to give to others. And that's what, what indeed the data show. So it's, it's those intrinsic values get crowded out. And that's our explanation of why materialistic people are less happy. They're spending less time and energy doing the things that really do bring meaning to life and do bring well-being. At least that's part of the explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of, hi, it's Anne. Oh, hi, well, hello, Anne. Hi, Tim. The, you know, one of the really interesting things about your work, uh, as I was doing some research, is the phrase, you've taken the phrase, you can't, money can't buy you happiness, to, uh, to both a broader and a deeper level in pointing out this effect on well-being and the, the broader societal uh, implications mm-hmm. of, that, of that lack of well-being. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I, again, you know, it, 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 it's not so much to me that money can't buy happiness as focusing on money makes you less happy, right? Yeah. You know, yep. so it's, it's that, that to the extent that taking on those messages of consumer capitalism that say money is what's most important, economic growth is what's most important, profit of companies is most important, how big your wallet is and your big screen TV and your house and your bank account is is what's most important. When people take on those messages, what we find is that that undermines um, their well-being. And, right. and it also, uh, and we can talk about this um, if you want to, we also have data that shows that the more a society focuses on those values, it actually undermines the well-being of the society, too. Yeah, well, if we can get to that in one second, but, but one of the, so the, uh, the sorting out for parents, because we hear a lot, uh, Brian and I have talked about this, and with our clients as we're coaching them, we hear a parent say, well, you know, I don't know what to do about uh, how much is too much, how much is enough, and my kids want this because their friends at school have them. And a lot of times they, what I find is they feel like it's all up to them. Yeah. And there's a sorting out that needs to be done about and, and some tools. And I think that this is what your work has done is doing intervention with your, your control groups. And if you can talk a little bit about that to sort out the responsibility of, okay, there are advertisers and that's a broader issue. What can parents do 
Mm-hmm. And how can they prepare their kids? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that there's a lot that um, parents can do, although just, and I, I'm sure we'll return to this. Oh, I just heard a click. Are we still there? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, there's a lot that parents can do, and, and uh, later on we can talk about the problem of, of society, too. Um, but, you know, for me, the issue of what parents can do has to do, again, with the values that they're um, teaching their children and how they're, they're setting up things at home. So I think one of the, the first things uh, that's really important to talk about has to do with simultaneously de-emphasizing the materialistic values and emphasizing the intrinsic values. And so here I go back to that seesaw analogy, yeah. is that by, by changing your, your lifestyle and your, your home in a way that decreases materialistic values, that's going to help, and we'll talk in a second about how to do that. And, but also, by increasing the extent to which children are pursuing those intrinsic values for personal growth and affiliation and community, that acts as a kind of antidote to the materialistic values, too. So that's the basic strategy, if you will. Undermine the materialistic values and encourage a second set of values, the intrinsic values. Though that together is kind of the strategy. So, should we talk about how to do that? Is that what you were? Yeah, after? let's talk about how that plays out in practice. If I have a, if I have a two-year-old who's screaming in the back of the car, and I know that if I give him my iPhone, he'll be quiet. Yeah. You know what? What do I do in that balance? Well, the first thing I would say is that two-year-olds have been screaming at their parents for thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> of years um, before That's what there were ever iPhones. And, and parents developed all kinds of different strategies in order to keep their two-year-olds happy that didn't involve iPhones and that didn't involve any piece of of, uh, technology that's exposed them to screens, okay? And so I think one of the things that parents, and and I think it's it's easy to forget that, okay? It's it's easy to think that, um, you know, that this is what has to be done and to forget that your grandmother actually probably did, had a different strategy that worked pretty well, okay? And and so so one of the things to do is to, Ask yourself, okay, what can I do in order to help um, calm my child and keep my child occupied here for a while, which is is best for the child and not setting up a, a habit, which um, ultimately might be problematic. So in the same way, and, and not that you would ever do this, but you would never give your kid you know, a beer in order to calm them down because that sets up a bad habit. Now, the same at some level goes for exposing them to screens as ways to calm themselves because what you're teaching your child there is when upset, the way to calm yourself is through the ingestion of consumer media. And and, and that's that's a problematic message um, because there's all kinds of evidence that shows that the habits that children... Um, take on when they're very young end up influencing them later on. And the the data are very clear that kids who are exposed to more television at that young age and other kinds of screens develop the habit and that that's also problematic for their intention and all kinds of other things. So, So 
Tim, I'm sorry to interrupt. We're going to have to take a break here, but yeah, we'll no come problem. back. But I, I just want to say before we go out, so this may set up a new question of WWGD. What would Grandma do? very good uh, so we're going to take a break if you have questions please uh, either call us or email us if you want to call us you can call us at 866-472-5790 or email us at moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com this is Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr with our guest Dr. Tim Kastner and you have money in your life When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfar.com. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Ann's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Money in Your Life with our guest, Dr. Tim Kasner. I'm Ann Hutchins, and my co-host, Brian Farr, is here as well. And, again, if you have a question for Dr. Kasner, please call 866-472-5790. Tim, before the break, you were talking about, uh, about practicalities and things that parents can do that set, up, that set up habits that support intrinsic values. Mm-hmm. Let's continue with that discussion. Sure. Well, just to, um, so one of the things I was saying was that it's a matter of both encouraging the intrinsic values and uh, discouraging the materialistic extrinsic values. So another thing, you know, to be considering is uh, drastically limiting children's ex- experience of screen time. 
um, when they're young. Uh, many parents are unaware of this, according to the research data, but the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that children under two have zero screen time, no TV, no computer, no iPad iPads, none of all those screen kinds of games that are marketed to children under two as educational, um, when in fact there's no data showing they are educational. So, so the Ameri- your pediatrician believes that, uh, or at least the academy believes that um, screen time for young children is not for their ben- is not to their benefit. Not beneficial, isn't that interesting? How does that word get out then? Well, it's it's really a great question because, and I'll be honest, as much as I admire pediatricians for taking the stand, I don't think that pediatricians in the office take the time um, to stop and talk with parents about this, in part because they're so busy. Um, and in part, we've also done some other studies that suggest that a lot of pediatricians think parents aren't going to listen. Um, that they, they sort of feel hopeless about parents even listening. And that kind of gets back to a broader societal issue, I think. But, um, but I, you know, I think that uh, one thing we did once, actually, was we got a little bit of money. You know how when a mother gives birth, uh, she comes home with all these pamphlets, uh, you know, from the hospital about this and that? Right. We, we got a little grant in order to um, have every parent who gave birth in a particular hospital go home with the AAP guidelines in that little satchel so that they knew um, what the pediatricians recommended. And we're kind of working on figuring out ways to do that better. So, But I think one of the things to do is to, is to limit a ch- kids' exposure to materialistic culture, to consumer culture. But, you know, that's not enough because the fact of the matter is, is your child is going to leave the house eventually um, and go to school and other places where they're going to be exposed to consumer culture. And so it's also a matter of giving kids um, the tools in order to decode consumer culture. You know, when my children were old enough to uh, talk to, I began teaching them what an advertisement was and explaining to them, I would tell them, you know, there's only one thing you need to know about an ad. They want your money. You know, we're two years old. They say they want my money. You know, and um, but, but but it's true. They got it. You know, and I, I like your phrase, decode the advertisement. It's almost like break the trance the yeah. advertisers are trying to set. Yeah. And then and then you can use then your own family values can come to the forefront. Exactly. Exactly. You know, because otherwise, you know, you're setting your children out there to be raised by the marketers and the marketers want one thing from your child, which is to figure out how to get them to buy something or to nag you to buy something. Um, that the marketers are advertising. That's that's the goal of marketing, let's face it. Well, um, it's certainly getting a lot more sophisticated and a lot more targeted. So teenagers and, and you know, above teenagers, yes. starting middle school, start spending much more screen time and may not even be aware of the messages that they're getting or the way that their Facebook page is, advertised to or what shows up on their Google page or follows them as they look at different pages on the Internet. What do you do there? That's absolutely right. You know, I think that what you have there is 
Um, the, and, and if people don't know this, but everybody's Facebook page has different advertisements on it that are um, set for what they understand this person to be and perhaps to respond to. And that's true for lots of other things on the Internet. I think that, uh, you know, there are ways to avoid some of that on the Internet. So there is uh, an ad block application that people can download um, that actually removes a fair bit of advertisement from um, the Internet. Um, again, there's the issue of you as a parent deciding uh, at what age it's appropriate for kids to be able to go onto the Internet or which sites they can go onto. There are non-advertisement sites um, on the Internet, but you know it gets complicated too because lots of times there's product placement within games that you you know let your kid play right. with, etc. And 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 you know and this gets to the broader issue that I want to return to I hope in a little while, which is that. You know, you're talking about asking a, a parent to go up against a multi-billion dollar industry that hires numerous PhDs in psychology and anthropology and, and, and increasingly even neuroscience in order to help figure out and design ads that will be as sophisticated as possible to affect your child. And, and how any one parent can go up against that multi-billion dollar industry and all of those PhDs um, is beyond me. I mean, there are certain things you can do, but ultimately there are certain things you just can't do as a parent either, and that's where we need to start asking the questions about whether or not our society um, is oriented in the right way when it comes to these issues. Yeah, so this, again, goes to the sorting out of responsibilities. It's, you know, I, as a parent, can do only so much, but I can't give up. Yes. So there are other avenues in recognizing, recognize, beginning to recognize where to go for those. Now, you're active, uh, just so we mention, because I think that there are a couple of, uh, a couple of avenues for folks that you're active in the campaign for commercial free childhood mm -hmm. and the Center for the New American Dream, just mm -hmm. as two spots that people can go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and both of which have uh, materials available to folks as to some, you know, first off to educate them about the broader issues with regard to materialism and consumerism in society. And then they also have a lot of um, materials there to help parents and other people learn how to, um, you know, either change their own parenting, but also how to get involved in um, issues in order to uh, change rules and change practices, both in their own community or at a broader level, as well as, and this is something the Center for New American Dream focuses on more, is how to set up ways to create and live intrinsic values in their own in your own life. You know, and there's lots of materials there in order to help, and, and this goes back to the second part of the strategy, right? You can't just critique the materialistic values or try to hold your kid back from seeing any of that. At the same time, what you need to do is to build up those other values, to go back to the seesaw metaphor, to strengthen the intrinsic values so that the materialistic values have less appeal. And there's lots and lots of ways that parents can do that. And there's lots of ways they can push for their schools to do that or for their city councils to do that um, and for the broader government to do that too. And so both of those websites have, have a good array of materials there to give some ideas on that. 
Well, is there one that you can mention? I know we have a couple of questions that are waiting, but before we go to that, is there one that you can mention? One what? Just to one clarify. strategy. Yeah, one strategy that parents for the intrinsic can use. values. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I think to me one of the major things to do is to um, model it as a parent yourself. You know, so the question becomes, you know, are you are have you set up your own life in a way that you're working seventy hours a week in order to have the big house and multiple cars and you spend your time on the internet and shopping, et cetera, et cetera, or do have you set up your life in a way in order to contribute to the community, to have plenty of time to uh, be playing with your child and involved with your child, um, and, and also to do things just for yourself that um, help you grow as a person. You know, our children imitate the values that they see their parents exhibit, and the data, again, are very clear that the more materialistic a parent is, the more materialistic the child is. But the more a parent focuses his or her life around intrinsic values and, and tries to support the child's own growth, that actually promotes intrinsic values in children as well. And so I think, I think the first place to start is to you know, look at what parents themselves are doing. And I don't mean to blame parents for this, and I understand parents feel under a lot of pressure sometimes, um, but, but children are watching, and they're sponges, and they're, yeah. they're looking at what you're doing in order to figure out how to live their own lives. Okay. All right. Well, it's, there are a lot of resources, and if, if our listeners haven't seen it, we included, there is a, fa- a YouTube video that you've done. If you just Google uh, Dr. Tim Kasser and uh, materialism, there's a pretty terrific YouTube that was produced with funding from the Campaign for Commission. Actually, oh, no, that Center one's for the American, American Dream. Right, mm-hmm. right. Okay. That's great. Brian, do you have a question? Um, you know, there's so many different things. I, I like this discussion that we've moved into of what families can do and what individuals can do, because I think there's a sense of discouragement. When I talk to my clients about it, it just seems so overwhelming that the screens are there, the advertisements are there. So th- this we can we have to take two courses. We have to work on we focus on what our own values are and the values we're communicating to the people close to us. And then a separate thing is how we interact with what we can do to impact the larger culture. That's what I'm hearing you say. Um, we, we need to focus on both of those things and not let the size of these multi-billion dollar adversaries discourage us from taking action in our own individual lives. Because the fact of the matter is, is that very small groups have successfully stood up to very large corporations in multiple um, instances and won. Because what the corporations sometimes are doing is either really problematic for people's health and well-being or because it's actually, um, you know, just it doesn't fit the rules. So, for example, the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood has stood up, has filed multiple complaints against companies uh, with the Federal Trade Commission 
explaining that those companies are are marketing materials as educational for children when there is absolutely no evidence that those um, those are indeed educational for children and they and and campaign for commercial free childhood wins and those companies have to have to stop making those claims and in one case in the uh, baby Einstein videos which many are probably familiar with the corporation Disney which owns baby Einstein had to offer refunds to any parent who had bought a baby Einstein video because of because the marketing was not um, something that reflected real evidence real outcomes mm. real outcomes oh. right exactly mm-hmm. so very small organizations can make a difference against big corporations but they can also make a difference in your school for example i bet almost any parent who goes out there will find that there's marketing in their school sure. you can get rid of that mm-hmm. yeah but now aren't you going to run into people who say there there's corporations paying for that marketing what's the problem with having a little marketing if we get that extra money and we can use it for something else in the school? The problem, well, there, I would say there's two questions. The first question to me is, why is the school district so poor that it has to go to a corporation in order to get what it needs in the school? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that yeah. raises a very interesting set of political questions. Right. That's, and a, I don't that's enormous. I don't think we have time for that. But I think that's the, que- yeah. that's the first question I would ask right. listeners to ask themselves. Why is it that I live in a system where my school district has to go begging to a corporation in order to make sure that X and Y happens in my kid's school, okay? And that has to do with the way our system is set up, that corporations have the money and school districts don't, okay? Um, The second issue is, well, why is it problematic? Well, because, again, from the evidence we know is that when children are exposed to these kinds of advertisements, they're more likely to take on those materialistic values. So one piece of evidence showing that is that there's uh, something called Channel One. Channel One is a corporation that makes its money by going into school districts, oftentimes poorer school districts, and offering to put televisions in all of the classrooms. And in return, what the district has to agree to is to show the Channel One news program, which is aimed at teenagers. It's about you know six or eight minutes long. They have to show that a few times a week. But in that six or eight minutes, there's advertisements. And so essentially what Channel One is doing is using the mandatory school laws in order to deliver advertisements from corporations directly to children who have no choice but to watch them. And the evidence, one study shows that in a, in, if you compare children who are in a Channel One school district with children who are similar in similar school districts on most other variables, like how wealthy the school district is but don't have Channel One, the kids in the Channel One school district are more materialistic. And as we said at the beginning of the show, we know that materialistic kids are less happy and they're more anxious and they're more likely to get involved in um, using alcohol, et cetera. So there's the problem. Yeah. That's and, that's remarkable that you can you can track that the Channel One schools compared to the ones that don't have the Channel One, and there's the you can uh, the variables can be held for, and so you're just really measuring that Channel One influence in six or eight minutes, two, two or three times a week. You're saying has that much of an influence? Sure, because I mean, look who the kids are listening to it from. I mean, you know, because. What is the purpose of school? The purpose of school is to say this is what's important to know. 
so if a, if a kid is getting the message that, oh, well, I guess my my teachers and my principal think it's important for me to know what's on Channel 1, then yep. it's an even more powerful message happening at school. Just like if your doctor tells you you should do X is more powerful than if, you know, your Aunt Zelda tells you you should do X for Got your it. health, right? Got it. It's yep. the same issue. Okay. Okay, Tim, we need to take a break. This is a fascinating conversation. We'll be back just shortly after the break. You have money in your life. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfarr.com. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you're listening to money in your life with brian farr and ann hutchins to reach our program today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Money in Your Life. I'm Ann Hutchins and my co- with my co-host Brian Farr, and our guest is Dr. Tim Kasser from Knox College. And I believe we have a question. We have a caller on the line. Hello, you have Money in Your Life. Hi there. Um, I am thinking about wondering about how to get to teenagers who live in their screens. I was wondering if there were any other video clips or YouTube clips that could foster sort of teenage thinking around this. Well, that's a great question. Um, I'm actually starting a project on this uh, as we speak. Unfortunately, it won't be around for a couple of years because uh, things take a while. I think that um, the the YouTube video, the animated YouTube video that um, was referred to earlier um, is one that I've heard um, youth respond to quite well. Um, you know, there's an, there's another um, movie, a movie out there that's a documentary that's called Consuming Kids. 
Um, and it, I show it in one of my classes to, um, to help people understand what's happening out there in uh, the world. And there's some really pretty scary things uh, that, that that shows that I think that high schoolers are definitely able to, um, to understand and to, to um, under, I think what the Consuming Kids video does really well is to help them see the scope of the problem. And, you know, one of the things that I say to people is that I think what we need to do is to mobilize a little youthful rebellion against the marketers. Because my experience <laughs> is, is that once you start to tell youth how marketers actually talk about them and how marketers are actively attempting to manipulate them, Youth get pretty angry in my experience, and and then they're motivated to say, "Oh, these—they're not just trying to sell me cool stuff. They're actually manipulating me and my friends." Right. Um, and and so I think the consuming kids video would be would be a good one to take a look at. There's lots of uh, stuff from the campaign for commercial free childhood in that too. So that's where I'd begin. That's great, okay. and it sounds like that's also kind of a sideways way of getting kids to start fighting for the development of intrinsic values. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, I think that, you know, if kids get um, motivated to start to work against these things, at some level what they're doing is engaging in community feeling values, which are those intrinsic values. And those are the values, actually, our research shows that the main value which stands in opposition to caring about money is caring about the community. And so, so as one goes up, the other one goes down. So I think to the extent you can help kids get more involved in, um, in doing these kinds of things, then that's actually working against the materialism. There was actually a, a high school student up in the Chicagoland area a couple uh, last spring who I had the chance to meet who held um, a half-day festival uh, in which, you know, there were rock bands and food and stuff like that, but uh, it was organized in order to help educate people about the problems of commercialization to children. So, I mean, that's just one example of the kind of thing one person has done um, that, that both fights back against consumerism, but also promotes an intrinsic value. Great. Thanks. Another there's another documentary that you've been involved with too, Tim. The documentary Happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now Happy is uh, Happy is a movie really about happiness. Um, it's and uh, you know its focus is primarily on the variety of factors which are known to promote people's well-being. I'm one of uh, several uh, psychologists and researchers who appear in that movie. And uh, now that's not nearly as hard of a hitting of a film in terms of going after consumer culture, although I think what it does wonderfully, and again speaks to youth very well from what I've heard, it does a wonderful job of promoting the intrinsic values. Um, Not so much critiquing the materialistic, but some some extent, but really what it does well is to show that basically what makes us happy is things like pursuing your own interests and is things like having good relationships and is things like volunteering, which are what all the intrinsic values are. Right. Okay. Right. You know, there's a. Uh, I have an email here. Let's. I want to thank the caller. Uh, our caller, uh, Jean, 
Um, and then now this is an email, uh, Caitlin from Oakland. And uh, Tim, this ties in when you were saying about parents modeling, the importance of parents modeling. And her question brings in an interesting wrinkle to it. Uh, she's a teacher. I work with a lot of kids who have parents with money problems. And the kids seem to know more than they should about their parents and family money situations. Mm -hmm. For example, the kids tell me how their parents don't have any money and cannot afford this or that. Mm -hmm. um, and then she goes on, how much should you let your kids know about your personal and family's family money situation? How would you answer this teacher who's – she's in the school room. She's saying this day in and day out yeah. and tie it into your uh, – you know, how, what you've spoken about earlier today. Well, the first thing I would say is it obviously depends on how old the child is. You know, I, and, and, you know, some children are able to have the capacity to understand these things and others aren't. So that, that's the first issue. Um, the, the second issue to me is that, you know, we've been talking a lot about how values influence our values. But another thing we know is that when people feel psychologically insecure, that actually also increases materialistic values. And we've shown that in, in numerous studies in numerous ways that I won't get into right now. But the point being that to the extent that a parent's discussion of financial problems makes a child feel psychologically insecure, all of the evidence I'm aware of suggests that's going to actually make the kid even more materialistic, um, which is, is problematic. That said, I also know that far too many families don't talk about money at all, and they send their kids off into adulthood without a good sense of how to balance a checkbook or how to avoid debt or what a mortgage is or et cetera, et cetera. And so I and 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 also explaining. I mean, there are times I, I plenty of times tell my kids we can't afford that or. I choose, we can't afford it, but I choose not to spend my money on it because I want to spend my money on this instead or save it for your college or give it away to this charity. So, and we, we have, we have a study about to come out here actually in just a month or two that shows that when parents and kids engage in a dialogue about money and how to use money and that money is not just for spending on whatever you want to spend it on, but it's also for sharing and for saving. The research we've done has shown that, that parents and their youth who engage in that kind of conversation over time, the youth's materialism goes down compared to um, the group that we studied who were not assigned to have those kinds of conversations. So I guess my point is that it's really important to tell kids um, and to you know, let kids, assuming you know, they have the, the uh, cognitive capacity to let kids understand some about the finances of the home because they got to learn it somewhere. And if they don't learn it from you, they're going to learn it from the marketers who tell them to spend and spend and spend. Okay. And I think it's also really important to tell um, kids that, you know, no, we, we can't afford that. That's not what we're going to spend the money on. Mm -hmm. But yeah. there are times, you know, what I've done with my kids sometimes is say, okay, you want that? I'll pay 25% of it. You come up with the rest of the money. Brilliant. Most yeah, of the time, goes, they, they this, choose not to. Well, it goes back to something that Brian and I talk about a lot, which is the opening up the conversation, is making time for a family meeting, yeah. not just doing a flyby, and talking mm -hmm. to your kids about money. But I like your seesaw uh, analogy of the, the, the intrinsic values and, and the balance mm -hmm. of 
of that because I think that that's something that kids can visualize and understand. But mm-hmm. it all wraps into it's really important to make time and have a conversation. And you don't necessarily have to share the details of the money, but you need to re- put it in a framework yeah. of what your values are. Yes, that's absolutely right. You know, and my friend Nathan Dungan, that's the person I did this study with, and he runs a group called Shares or a organization called Share, Save, Spend. And and that is the point is that our our financial behavior should be reflective of our values and what we think is important. And we use, money is a tool, actually. I mean, and anybody who studies money will tell you that. The money is basically a tool in order to make certain things happen. And we use tools. We can use tools for destructive means or for productive means. Right. And, um, and, and so that we need to bring our values and help our children understand how to bring their values into their financial behavior. And that's what's going to lead them to have a healthier way of living their lives mm-hmm. financially. And what, so what I'm hearing in here is th- what we ch- parents need to start a larger conversation with their children around money and the values, th- this whole, you know, the, the advertising. It's like engaging the kids in a larger conversation that's ongoing. This is not a one-time conversation. Absolutely true, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. one that you, as a parent, have to kind of keep bringing up at opportune moments you know when when it makes sense to bring it up and when there's there's an issue and i think as i said earlier in the show you can start really young i mean i was talking with my kids about this basically as soon as they could talk um and and continue to now that they're 16 and 14 right um you know it's it it's it's another part of parenting just like you ultimately need to teach your kids about sex and you need to teach them how to tie their shoes and how to drive a car. You need to teach them about money too. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. Wow. I think that we should talk, we're getting near the end of the show here, but we should focus on a couple of things so that listeners can go learn more. It sounds like the center for a new American dream mm-hmm. is, is one place where you would direct people. Yes, and then the other, so Center for a New American Dream, and then the other place I really would encourage people to check out is the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood. Um, The other thing they could do if they're interested in is, uh, I actually have two different websites, but if they they Google my name, which is Tim Kasser, K-A-S-S-E-R, they uh, will find a couple of different websites. Go to the website that... uh, it talks about uh, activism and scholarship and uh, has videos and things like that. You'll figure out which website it is. And there you can see quite a number of other organizations. If you click under activism, I have a list there of about 10 different organizations that, from my perspective, do a really good job of simultaneously critiquing consumer culture and its values while at the while uplifting the intrinsic values. Yeah. So there's there's quite a number of organizations, but Center okay. for a New American Dream, Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood are great places to start. Okay. Okay, that's excellent. That's great. That's great. Okay, Brian, do you want to talk about uh, upcoming episode? Um, let's do that. I, I want to thank uh, Tim Kasser. This has been uh, yeah, excellent this absolutely. morning. 
Yeah, thank you for your time and and your work. As as I said at the top of the hour, is, has been very exciting to me. As I've uh, I got the chance to to meet you um, and um, and then now learn learn more about your work. I think this is very important work. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I appreciate the chance to be on your show. And uh, I hope things will continue on. And I, lo- I wish you best of luck as you continue doing this show and talking about this uh, important topic. Yeah, Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Tim. This has really been great. Thanks for your support. You bet. Okay, next next week, our next episode, we have Maggie Baker, and the topic is crazy money. We have a lot of good shows in the future, so I hope you will stay with us and listen to Money in Your Life. This is Money in Your Life with Ann Hutchins. And Brian Farr. Send us an email or give us a call when we're on, but send us an email at moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Thank you for making Money in Your Life part of your financial plan this week. Please join your hosts, Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.